This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. Food is everything to me because it's the simplest, you know, if you just have just the most beautiful sourdough bread and butter, that's a complete thing for me. A freshly shucked oyster, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's life. And it's so much fun to work with. Yeah, I just, it's my life. This is The Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The art of service is multifaceted. It's not about carrying plates, about taking someone's order or pouring their wine. It's about managing every individual's perceptions of value from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave. There are some that have not only left a mark on the art of great hospitality, but continue to lead the way forward for those looking at it as a genuine career path. Sharon Romeo is the co-owner of Fino at Sepultsfield and Fino Vino in Adelaide. Sharon, how are you? Uh, great after that introduction. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. It's nice to be here. Oh, it's great to talk to you always. You're one of the leading front of house professionals in Australia. What's it been like carving out a career in the front of house? You know, when I um, first kind of got into hospitality, it, you know, it was, I was a teenager, I was about 15 or 16, and I, um, initially I wanted to be a chef. Um, but then I just used – I worked in the hospitality industry to pay for my um, university degree and I fell in love with it. And I was – I really love the adrenaline rush you get, you know, from a really busy service. And it just kept me there and I just, I just yearned for that high, highly stressed few hours of power, yeah, where you, you manage a team, you manage – customers you manage walk-ins and you just try and have this kind of seamless uh type of service which you know is always kind of has a bit of chaos to it but yeah I just fell in love with it and I really enjoyed it what's the secret to managing your team and that customer expectation with so many variables there are so many variables and I guess it's um, managing your time. Also, actually, you've got to have the right team. And for me, um, I lead by example. I'm no better than any of my team. So my, I roll up my hands. I always do service, carry plates, take orders. But you've got to kind of have this one. You've got to create this sense of camaraderie and teamwork to start with, which has got to be full of respect for me. It always has been. And I think when you when you know that your team have got your back, you know, and you always strive to kind of, you strive for excellence, and you strive to kind of, I don't know. There's always been a little bit of competition for me, so it's like see how many people we can do tonight, you know, see how many sales we can get, and kind of your team kind of kind of work work off you too in a way, which is great fun. Um, managing guest expectations. Oh look, you know, I think that's it can get a bit tricky to be honest. It depends on the guest. But for me, I've, I never feel like I'm serving someone. I always have the attitude of looking after someone. And I guess if you have that kind of mentality too, you don't let things get to you. People come in in a mood. People have their own shit they're going through that day. We don't know. We're just trying to make their day better, I guess, for a few hours and try and make a difference. You, you delved into hospitality to pay for a university degree and you mentioned that you wanted to be a chef. Tell us about that. 
Uh, well, I just um, mum and dad kind of working class, uh, second generation Southern Italians. So dad had his own cabinet making business. Mum worked retail. Um, you know, money was always tight for us, but I would be a teenager and cook home home cooked meals, and it would be a beautiful three to four hour homemade ragu. Um, we yeah, well, absolutely, it's all I knew. <laughs> um, we slaughtered the pig every year um, in in winter. We made sorgho in summer. Um, so for me, you know, my father's was so proud of his culture and heritage, and and wanted us to learn as much as we could. So it's always been deeply ingrained in me, food, and very simple peasant food, being resourceful. And my mother was the best and still is the best host. It just comes very naturally to her. She's very generous and you feel she makes everyone feel so comfortable. So I guess it's in my DNA. Do you have, do you have any stories of when you were young and the, and the sort of feasts um, that your family had? Look, um, to this day, um, our Christmas meal is homemade calabrese lasagna, where <clears throat> mum makes the sauce, we hand make pasta, which is really fine. We hand roll these little veal and meat and pork meatballs, boiled egg, ham, mozzarella, pecorino. That's our, that's our Christmas meal, and it always was. But mum, we always, you know, mum and dad didn't have much, you know, when I was growing up, so it was always just very basic but beautifully crafted and generously made food that was so tasty, but very rustic. And it was always probably from my mum and dad's region in Calabria, which is really simple food, which is also called cucina povera, which is, you know, poor, poor person's food. You've won many accolades for your commitment to the front of house. Uh, take us back to when you were young. What were some of the key moments when you learnt started to learn your craft and learn the skills required? Look, you know, I, I never worked like, I worked at very busy bistros, not really many restaurants. I never worked at any pubs. Um, but I don't think we never had, I never worked in a fine dining venue at all, um, a few upmarket. But I don't know, it's just, I've always had this kind of, attention to detail, making sure the table, you know, I remember setting the table, you know, and it was like the altar for me. It was really sacred. Like everything had to be perfect. Um, and for me it was that kind of sense when someone walks through the door and they're walking into your home and when they sit down at that table, like everything is just perfect. <laughs> so I don't know. No one's ever really taught me that. I don't, I don't think, I don't remember. I just, I, I remember being thrown in the deep end of many busy venues but I always put my kind of my touch on it I guess because I I took it so seriously when I was younger in my 20s yeah you've had an incredible uh owner operator business relationship with David Swain for for many decades how did that begin uh David and I um well we've been in business now for 16 going on 17 years we met at the start of Greece in uh I think the year 2000 we were just two like-minded people that really enjoyed working together now we worked over two intense summers in Port Wollonga in South Australia like you know the the cafe was open seven days seven nights in the in summer you know from um boxing day through to um Australia day so they were really intense services Anthony like you didn't stop but 
we just gelled and we just had this like-minded idea of how we like to eat and one day we should open a place, ha, 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 and like we did. But we opened a place that we wanted to eat at and with that comes its own kind of business pains. Like, for example, you know, you don't realise you're creating a niche market. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, we didn't. We just we just wanted to serve what we wanted to eat and drink, you know, obviously, and, you know, we, not everyone understood what we were trying to achieve. They got there in the end. Did you have to change anything or adapt to make sure that that did work? Yeah, totally. So the first time we opened um, Fino in Wollongo in 2006, we thought it would be a really good idea to not to not have a menu and get people to trust us. And that was the worst thing we did, you know, because people didn't and and people didn't really trust us. And you got to, and then you know, in hindsight, looking back, you've got to earn their trust. And when you do, and when you do earn your guests' trust, they love you and they are loyal, and you know they support you for years. But it's just earning that trust. And that was one lesson I have learned is like, yeah, just in Italian we say piano, piano. So just, you know, easy does it. So it takes time. But it was really rewarding to go through that experience. Do you have any fond memories from that time of that initial uh, version of Fina? Yeah, absolutely. I just, I didn't know it was the first restaurant I ever opened. And honestly, I didn't think I was good enough to do it. I don't know. I just didn't have the faith in myself, mm. you know, which is really odd because I come across so confidently. But, you know, there were the moments there I thought, I don't know what I'm, I don't know exactly what I want to achieve or what exactly we're doing. Because you don't, you, you give something a go, but you don't know how it's going to unfold. You don't know how the, the, the customer base are going to take you. You know, we did, we opened a little 60-seater venue in, in Wollonga. Not many people even knew where Wollonga was. Um, but what a community. And working in regions, is, there's nothing like it. You know, the depth of relationships that you build, the relationships you build with the guest, the local, <clears throat> the locals, the vignerons, the farmers, the producers, and they walk in and say... David, I've got these goose eggs. What can you do with them? You know, or here are my mandarins, or here's some eggplants. So here's, you know, bringing a, you know, a, a pig through the front door of the restaurant. <laughs> you know, it was beautiful. That, that, I, I miss those moments, to be honest. It was at that time that you started to forge um, great relationships with the winemakers of the region as well and start to celebrate them. Tell us about the connections that you made there. Well, at first, um, I upset a lot of the winemakers because my small wines, which had under 50 wines, didn't really support the region. So, and my my um, idea behind that was to select wines, select these eclectic, interesting wines from abroad and other places to excite the winemaker or the wine enthusiast, to give them a different experience, to give them, to take them on some journey, you know, for a moment. Um, and eventually... Uh, they love that about Fino. And then, of course, yes, we created a whole, um, like, a wine wall of all local wines for to support them and for um, pe- people who are travelling into the region to try some, um, you know, alternative varieties and, and new, newer wine styles than, the, you know, the, um, the usual suspects. What's it like putting together that wine list that works for a venue? Um, 
you you like to have really tight, sharp, specific menus. What, what does it take to pull those together? Um, for me uh, and David, uh, selecting the wines is really important that kind of match the kind of weight and style of the food. So I love I love writing a wine list. Is it, it, I, I'm in my happy place when I do that. I get carried away though, of course, you know, because you – oh, but, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to have these really bold, big reds because David has this lovely finesse with food. So it didn't make sense to have these really big, robust Barossa or McLaren Vale wines, but also to celebrate the new McLaren Vale and the progressive wine styles that we have in the regions. So for me, I'll always celebrate those, and I still do to this day. What le- what led to the move of Fino to the much bigger bigger site at Seppersfield? Well, we were invited um, by Warren Randall, the managing director. Um, he he kind of started planting the seed for about three years, in which we said, "Nah, nah, nah, mate, no, not going to happen." We live, we both live in the Fleury Peninsula. You know, you're in the Barossa Valley. That's so far away, and we've made all these connections, and our life is here. Like, yeah. So it was really hard to kind of logistically think about or think about the logistics of not only running two venues but running two venues that are like two hours apart you know it just seemed really odd to kind of consider that but um we were invited to be the destination restaurant of the redevelopment of Sepulsfield, which um reopened in 2014 they have never i think it was established in 18 18- 50 or 1891, forgive me for those that know when it was, um, we're the only dining space I've ever had. It's pretty amazing. Um, and sitting here now, you know, I'm sitting in the original 1900s bottling hall that is just absolutely magnificent. And I feel really proud and honoured that we had the opportunity to open a venue. And it's amazing. What were the thoughts behind the menu and the offering there, given the, the great history? Was there an obligation to be part of that? Um, well, I th- it's part of our ethos as a regional restaurant to be a part, to immerse yourself in the region that you're in. So, no, it wasn't hard at all to think about that. It was just finding new producers, new farmers, new vineyards, new stories to tell. Yeah, so it was really, really easy. We, wa- we wanted to have a point of difference to Fino Wollonga, so uh, Fino Walunga was all about this really small menu and all about sharing and, you know, and it was a very personal experience because David and I worked pretty much every shift. So David touched most of the dishes and all the food and I served all the guests. So coming, well, having that and then coming to this massive place where it's, we have one, two, three, four dining areas it's, it seats over 140 people. It was really hard for me, actually, Anthony, to get my head around the masses of tourists or travellers that didn't actually know about Fino and didn't actually want to know about Fino. They were in the Barossa, yeah? They were in the Barossa. They didn't care. <laughs> they weren't there to dine. I mean, they were, they were, some did dine, but they were there for the Barossan experience. And as a regional restaurant, absolutely, we delivered from day one, and we still do. But it's just, it was a different, I, I struggled from coming coming from such a personable, intimate venue to something that was three to and a half times the size and with different expectations from guests. 
how did you get over that sort of mental hurdle and operations hurdle to make it such a success? I just had to get over the fact that they didn't care about my story or not and just deliver and tell a new story, but that wasn't so personable, yeah? Because I'm also, it's not, I'm sharing my, my home. I'm in Sepultsford's home. So, you know, I, had to, I just had to let that personal stuff go. Yeah, you do it with, it just took me a few years, <laughs> but not long. I'm really there now. This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is all about the connection. A business starts with passion, but gets bogged down with all the complexities that come with life, society, and rules. If you can simplify this mundane, then people can be happy and they can thrive. And when you have happy staff members and happy managers, your customers will sense it. They'll be happy. And you create that connection. That connection is hospitality is about. For more information, go to deputy.com. Well, you also have Fino Vino in, in, in Adelaide. Tell us a bit about that venue and how different it is to uh, the large offering out at Zeppersville. I feel like we've come in full circle because David and I are running it again. Um, we, it's a really personable <laughs> venue and it reminds me of Fino Wolunga, just 16 years old, 16, 16 years newer. So it is, um, we always wanted um, another venue and I, I suppose we've done regions, so we did uh, the Fury Peninsula and now the Barossa Valley, um, very established venues we have, where Fino Wolunga was, Fino Sebutswood is. We just wanted something new, we wanted this con- convivial um, kind of community vibe restaurant and bar somewhere that you could just come and have a drink have a nibble not necessarily eat so it was kind of a new fino but an old fino in a way so i suppose the venues that i I, we've created are very very warm and welcoming and that's really really important to me and regional restaurants have that you know you feel welcome when you're in a place in a region and i wanted to create that same ethos and um, in the city, which we have. Tell me about the local producers that you get to tell the stories of uh, in in regional uh, South Australia. Well, I'll, I'll talk about who we currently uh, work with in the Barossa, but they are, obviously we don't have any ocean, so we use um, Gazanda oysters. Uh, we use Port Lincoln cock um, mussels, uh, kinkawinka mussels. We use um, um, kin southern bluefin tuna. Um, from the from the Gore, we use um, Tom Robinson's Gore pippies. Um, Mulloway, we're using um, beautiful freshly farmed barramundi from Robara in the southeast. We work closely with Gumshire Pork, which is a heritage pork producer. The Angus family, the Angus family in uh, Huttonvale lamb, it's the most stunning lamb. We um, we only get a full car, a full lamb, one whole lamb uh, every week, and so we just use portions of that so that's that's how they deliver so it's not not cuts off um we use local um local um vegetables um that are grown um wonderful orchards uh pistachios and walnuts that are grown here we make our own bread we use lucky flour and small world flour so look the the story is just so beautifully interwoven into the the 
the region, what we can't source from the Barossa, we source from South Australia. How much has the industry changed? You've had um, Fino for 16 years in different iterations, but has it changed a lot in the last two decades? Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt a bit misunderstood with Fino Wollonga. There, there were moments when no one walked through the door and you're thinking, what have we done so wrong? You know, you question yourself. And I, I, I wonder if we were ahead of our time um, or what we're trying to do. But all we were trying to do was serve really simple, beautifully crafted food. <laughs> like it, it wasn't fancy. It was maybe a bit too simple for people. I don't know. I just felt a little bit misunderstood. I feel like it's a wonderful dining scene in South Australia right now. Like, I feel like we've come really far. Um, and... Yeah, it's just been tough since COVID, I have to be honest, I suppose. I feel like we've progressed in the last uh, 16 years, absolutely. Um, look, more, more locals support you. More, more South Australians are going out. But I think part of our business does appeal to people that uh, live in the eastern states. And it's been really, it's been, it hurts. It's been hurting a lot since the borders have been closed. Are there opportunities that have emerged that you think will uh, come to fruition uh, moving forward, given the sort of adversity that you've been through? Yeah, I think I still think we're, we're finding our feet there with Fino, Wollonga, uh, Fino Vino in the city, only because uh, it's still quite a new venue. Uh, we opened at the end of 2019. So I would love to see the opportunities of that city venue really flourishing, but um, we've been we are located right in the CBD um, around lots of corporate businesses, so it's been pretty quiet in that area. So I see I would love to see more opportunities arise for the city venue. Um, and in the Barossa, it's just when those borders open, it's just going to come back to life. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> Well, staffing is a big issue at the moment. What, what would you say to those that might be contemplating a career in hospitality? Come, come. <laughs> I love it. It's the most amazing industry that I've been in. Um, it is not for everybody. It is hard work physically, but it's so rewarding. Like you get to work with food and and beverage and cocktails and craft beers and you get to meet all these different types of people and I think it's a really important skill to have and you know I've I've had so many students um, that have you know worked to support themselves but it gives you such valuable skills to work in a team to learn how to communicate to learn about leadership and to learn to be efficient and time you know use your time well so yeah I'm a champion for the industry still. Well, you've been very successful over your career. What sort of business advice would you have for those perhaps looking to start their own business or um, getting out of the adversity that they've been in? Look, I think you, st you really need to do a business plan. Um, David and I never did one when we first opened Fino Wollonga. Um, so I've learned about that. I think you just need to see what audience you're targeting, if you're going to cook for the community, the masses, what you want to achieve. Um, but, you know, I was always given some advice a long time ago and it said, someone said to me, you can't be everything to everybody. Just be who you are and do it really, really well. And that's the same advice I would give to others. What's a good night in in a restaurant for you, 
to be full. Uh, a good night is uh, a seamless service, two sittings um, where I get to touch every single table uh, and, the, and the vibe is just magical. Look, uh, a good night for me is – most nights are good for me when I do service. You know, as long as there's there's this the great atmosphere – um, everyone's kind of being guided by you too and they're excited to be there, I guess. You, we work, you know, you, I think the guests' um, personalities really rub off me too, you know. You, you, want people to, you want people to have a good time. That's why they go out. And I, my, my aim is to always show them a good time and always help them spend their money well. <laughs> you, you mentioned that you'd love to touch every table at some sort of time in the evening. To tell us about that ethos and why it's so important. Uh, because people are walking through my the door of my home. It's my home. And I really believe that I would like to tell them our genuine story in any way I can. Not a boring story. It could be just saying hello, telling them about a producer, talking about a wine or a sherry, you know. That's really, really important because I think we've created such a personable brand and it's really genuine and authentic. And, yeah, I am really proud of what we do every day. Your form of hospitality has changed and touched on so many people's lives as diners, but how has hospitality changed your life? How has it changed my life? That's a hard question because it's been my life. I haven't known anything else. But what I do know is that... I absolutely love what I do and I find it extremely rewarding to look after people but also to make a difference to the people that I employ. That, that is so rewarding, to make a difference to them, to show them or mentor them through their life in some way is, is amazing. You spoke earlier about cooking for your family when you were young and potentially maybe becoming a chef, but what what does food mean to you? Oh, food is everything to me because it's the simplest, you know, if you just have just the most beautiful sourdough bread and butter, that's a complete thing for me. A freshly shucked oyster, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's life and it's so much fun to work with. You know, and it can be creative and it's good for your soul and, yeah, I just, it's my life. You mentioned that it still has been um, challenging and you'd like to see borders open and see the Barossa booming again. What do you think the next couple of years look like for hospitality? Yeah, I've been asking myself the same question, you know. I feel like we, um, I think the hospitality industry has been, deeply affected by the state closures, capacity restrictions. You know, we've had to pivot so many ways. You know, we've had to do double sittings, um, you know. Sorry, I'm trying to find the most basic word. Um, social distancing, all those things that you just don't, they're not normal to us, you know. Wearing face masks. I got Someone, gave, someone wrote a complaint about me because I didn't take my – I said something – I thought I, I thought it was quite funny, but I was I was taken the wrong way. This fight, this it's all about the face mask. People are taking us the wrong way. Look, um, and it's because serving, a ta- looking after a table, is so personable, yeah. And you've just taken this really important element of reading people away. Um, I, I think we have a really we have a really massive skill skill shortage. 
that needs to be addressed. And I think guest expectations, um, I don't know if guests are going to understand that we don't have the, the resources like we used to. It's hard to get staff out. It's hard to, it's hard to hire staff right now. Um, I just, um, I think we, I, I feel like the hospitality industry is extremely resilient and we are extremely creative. But boy, it's been hard on us, you know. And what's been really difficult is all of this stuff is going on as a business owner, but as a front of house person, I've got to come out the floor and I've got to put a smile on my dial. And I've got to just pretend for a few hours that life's okay. <laughs> it's been really tough. It, that's, been, that's been one of the hardest things for me this last two years. All these unknowns and, you know, there's, you can see that the, there's been um, a decline in, cus- in consumer confidence. You can see that customers are a bit, there's fear. There's a lot of the unknown. You know, you're being watched to see if you're sanitising properly. You know, all these things. It's like, it's a lot of pressure on us. Um, but I feel like um, we will we will rise above this. And I think we just, you know, for us, it's, you know, this whole industry too is about cash flow. You don't have cash flow, you can't pay your staff, you can't pay your producers. So we've just got to get, we just need those borders to open. We need consumer confidence to, to increase and, and support small business and eat out. How do you motivate uh, your team to get the best out of them in these circumstances and, and really flourish on the floor? Well, um, I've got to be positive in front of them. And that positivity, I've got to be positive for myself, to be honest. But when you've got that positivity and um, you just get the get them amped up, and yeah, they rub it rubs off on them absolutely. And I'm always, I always, always um, acknowledge what a great job they've done and believe in positive reinforcement. Absolutely, always. It's really important. There'll come a time when uh, the borders are open and and everyone is busy. What are you most looking forward to? Being busy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just want to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, You know, we've been waiting for these borders to open. We've been living in this bubble in SA, you know, um, and I just feel like I just want to see people travelling again. I really do. And I would like to travel again. But once the borders open, um, it will be a boost for the economy and for everyone, staff, business owners, producers, winemakers, everything. It has a flow-on effect. You've been in the industry for quite some time and there's, there is a skills shortage, as you, as you mentioned. Um, you mentioned it's, it is your entire life. What is it that you love about what you, what you do and what people could get out of this industry? Um, I love making a difference to someone's experience and I love making a difference to the people that I employ and I always want to know more. I always want to be the best I can be and I love telling stories because that's what front of house are. We're storytellers and it's, yeah, it's making a difference to the people I look after and the people I employ. Well, Sharon, you've made a massive impact on so many people and many people to come as well. We've loved having you on the luminaries today to hear 
a bit of your story, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Huck. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.